they automatically will assume I'm just talking about a bunch of haters, like mm-hmm. most songs are, you know. But it's not really about haters. It's about, like, when I was schizophrenic and me saying, like, you can't stop it. Like, you can't stop what God is going to do in my life. Mm-hmm. And and you can't top it. Like, mm-hmm. anything you would try to offer me, you know, how Satan tried to offer Jesus all the kingdoms, like, you can't top what God is going to do in my life. Yeah. That's basically what that whole song is about. You know, but Won't the way he that- do it? Satanic rituals, mental health, and being too hard for Christian hip-hop. In this episode of Testimony and Musician Story, presented by Soundseekers, Southern California rapper Adrian Lamont shares his Christian testimony. Adrian discusses his drug and alcohol addiction that led to schizophrenic episodes, which eventually caused him to give his soul to the devil. Don't worry though, God snatched it back with an Uber ride in a modern day John the Baptist. Mother Brown delivers a thoughtful prayer. It's humorous as well. And additionally, Adrian Adrian breaks down. They can't top it. Won't he do it? Big things and unique in the four song breakdown. I am Gaelica Brown and this is Sound Seekers Presents Testimony, a musician's story. What's going on, guys? I am Adrian Lamont and this is my testimony. And we'll go ahead and we'll start with your first music memory, whether it be a song, music video, concert. Yeah. Uh, My first music memory had to be um, my family has, they've always been music oriented. So I always was surrounded by music, like my cousins and uncles. Um, they always played instruments. Um, but my younger cousins, which was like a generation generation behind me, um, they had a rap group. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember they would always play their CD at the family functions, you know. So that was like the first introduction I had to like like, I always heard music, you know, like, and heard of artists like Tupac and heard certain things on the radio. But that was the first time I saw, like, a glimpse of the process of creating music, you know. So yeah. um, that was really inspiring to me. Um, you know, I thought it was so cool, but it was never something that, like, struck something to where I was like, oh, I want to do that. I just thought it was really cool because I was younger. I was probably about like 11 when that, when you were, when they dropped the album. You were around 11 and they were younger than you. I'm sorry. They were, they were older than me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were. So like the older generation. Got it. So, yeah. So when they dropped that album, I was like, wow, like, this is really cool, you know, but it didn't spark anything for me to actually start creating. It wasn't until I turned 17 um, when I started, like, writing my own raps because I loved English and poetry. Mm. Um, So, like, in school, I would always do great in English. Yeah. 
you know, because that was just like my favorite class. I loved writing, you know, so I would just start writing poetry and then it kind of turned into rap. And then I started to record myself. You, you remember those old phones, like the, like the huge flip phones, you know, where you can record your voice memos or, or maybe like the sidekicks. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I, I used to have just so many voice notes okay. on my sidekick and um, like, for some reason, they started getting deleted. And I would tell my mom, like, hey, like, all of my um, voice notes are getting, like, deleted on my phone. And she was like, okay. So the next day or a week or whatever, she brought me a composition book. And she was like, you should write all of them, all of your, you know, ideas in this book so you can keep track of it. Yeah. So I started writing, you know. Um, just every day, just writing in the book, writing raps in the book. It wasn't even to a beat. It was just writing verses and, and hooks. Yeah. And then I saw the movie by uh, Notorious. Oh, the like, Biggie Notorious movie? Gabby, the Biggie yeah. movie. Yeah. And um, there was the scene when he was in prison, or I don't know if he was in the county or prison, but he was in jail. And he basically was writing raps in his cell and he had the exact same composition book that my mom gave me. Mm-hmm. So I was Is like, that black oh, and white one. Like yeah. 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 The college rule <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. So he, I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know? And I kind of felt like, oh man, like, you know, if he can do it, I can do it too. Like we're using the same tools. Mm-hmm. Like, Maybe I'm like on to something like I'm doing, you know, I'm using the same tool that this guy's using, like, you know, and I'm young, you know, you don't have a lot of reservations when you're young, you, you, your, your mind is so like open. I was like 16. So then that's when I really started to try and create songs and, you know, we'll, um, we'll get into all of that, the song making, um, for sure. Let's start with your childhood, where you were raised. Where? Um, I was raised in Pasadena, Pasadena, California. Oh, really? I didn't know you yeah. were a Cali boy. Yeah. Okay. Word. I'm from Sacramento. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Oh. So you were raised in Pasadena. Um, did you have any siblings? Yeah. So I have a huge family, but my immediate family consisted of my sister, um, just my mom, really. My dad passed when I was four years old. Do you have any so, memories of your dad? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. One memory that sticks out the most, which is awkward, but I still do it today, is um, he would always give me, like, these little rolled up pieces of lunch meat. Okay. And like hand it to me and like feed it to me. Yeah. Like, you know, like if I wanted a snack. Yeah. And I'll catch myself at like 2 a.m. in the morning, like running into the kitchen, like getting a little piece of lunch meat and like rolling it up. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I have a few other memories. Um, but yeah, I mean, my 
my immediate family was very small. Do you mind if I ask how your dad passed away? Yeah, put on this helicopter to pass it by. <laughs> Gotta love Kelly. Yeah. Um, he passed away from respiratory issues. He was actually a heroin addict. Okay. And, um, you know, uh, through the heroin, um, that really took a toll on his body mm -hmm. uh, to the point where his heart um, couldn't keep up anymore. Okay. You know. And yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. So your household, um, so then you're predominantly raised by your mom? Yes. Single black mother, mm -hmm. as the story usually goes. Yeah. You know? Was it a Christian household? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that um, my grandmother is definitely the to blame for that. She was <laughs> a very, very deep-rooted Christian woman. Um, so she always pushed her children to Christ. So we would definitely be in church a lot. And like at least every Sunday. Um, but I, I never had a relationship with, with Jesus really, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really know why we were going. I just mm -hmm. thought, I just figured, you know, this is just what we do every Sunday. Yeah. You know? So, but it, it was definitely rooted there. I think my grandmother's prayers definitely covered a lot of things, especially through adulthood. So when did you develop your relationship with Jesus? Oh, man, that wasn't until, like, a real relationship. It wasn't until I was about 20, 22. Well, no, 24, 23 or 24. I'm 30 now. Okay. So, I, like, yeah. So it's been about, yeah, six years. So 24 is when I really met Jesus. And what happened? How how did you really meet him? Um, I mean, to make a long story kind of short, <laughs> um, as I got older and started to figure out, like, trying to find who I was, my identity, I fell into drug addiction. Um, I also fell into alcoholism. I was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that led me down a path where I was inviting a lot of demonic spirits into my life. Um, and not figuratively. Yeah. You know. And it got to a point where I started to develop schizophrenia mm. um, and have a lot of psychosis episodes. And I pretty much got outcasted by all my friends and family because they all thought I was crazy. Uh, yeah. You know, but they didn't know I was dealing with this demonic oppression. So, you know, I found God in that and um, you know he met me 
literally on a bus stop one day where I was thinking about suicide, figure, like literally in the form of a person, a person came up to me and started talking to me about God. And um, he brought me to a conference where I got delivered and saved. Like he, he came to a bus stop where I was sitting, <laughs> contemplating suicide, talked to me about God, asked me if I wanted to come to a conference with him, which was around the corner at Pi Hop in Pasadena. I said, yeah, went there, got delivered. It was crazy. And there's obviously a way more detailed um, version of that. But um, I mean, that's yeah. the whole purpose of this, <laughs> this yeah. podcast, Testimony Musicians. <laughs> okay, so I don't want to. We okay. can get detailed. Okay. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I actually have that conversation I had with the guy. He's an Australian white dude. His mm -hmm. name is Simon. I have it recorded and uh, on on an album. I put it out on a, the first album I released, which okay. I, I took down to re-release later and update the production and songwriting. But I recorded the conversation we were having and um you know i was just at the end of my rope um i was hearing voices in the television and the radio on tv it was just sensory overload everything was um everything was just so overwhelming and kind of to put it in more perspective to go back a little bit, kind of how I got to this point. Yeah. Um, as I, like I said, as I was getting into alcoholism and drugs and everything and inviting demonic spirits. But what I mean by that is I was really involved with um, satanic um, imagery and even satanic clothing um what i got examples of that what is so so like um it was this brand that i used to wear called black scale i don't know if they still exist okay. but basically um a lot of their symbolism is like the eye of horus ring and like you know different satanic phrases and things and i didn't really know like i didn't intentionally wear it to invite satan satanic things you know i didn't know that it carried that spirit you know but it got to a point where you know um all these things i was surrounding myself by started to affect my spirit and I realize now in hindsight that a lot of those garments and things I was wearing was actually, they actually had demonic um, um, forces on them. Like mm -hmm. there was this ring that I had, it had an eye of force on it. And every time I would take it off and put it on, it's just kind of hot. It's Cali. So. <laughs> Every every time I would take it off and put it on, um, it felt like I was a different person, mm. you know, um, to the point where I had to have it on. And I remember 
um, I was dating this girl at the time in Hollywood and, you know, we kind of had a falling out and I went to live with a producer and I remember just getting very high and drunk one day. And I remember him telling me about like all this, all these satanic rituals and blood sacrifice and sacrificing his daughter and, um, you know, kind of what to do. And I remember us like recording um, at his home and uh, the laptop where we were recording had a Ouija board underneath it. And uh, I remember uh, like rapping into the mic and I felt like, like I was demonically possessed and a demon was speaking out of me into the microphone and um i remember he had like this baby um his child and i know this is like very extreme but this is like really real you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i I could tell by your face it's like (laughs) i mean (laughs) it's really when you keep bringing up the children involved i'm like what yeah no yeah Uh, yeah it um it's real you know what i'm saying um you know, and I see why Josh wanted me to come on here, you know, because it's um, my testimony is very. It's, it's you don't hear it every day. No. I'll, I'll say that, you know, but. Basically, his child, who was a beautiful little boy, um, you know, as I was recording in these demonic spirits were coming out of me and I recording over the song I would I would look into that little boy's eyes and I I like I like saw God like Mm -hmm. there was just an innocence there and just a pureness there and I knew God was with me Mm -hmm. you know and there was even a point where I almost well I feel like I physically summoned Satan in the room Mm -hmm. and um he asked me if I wanted to sell my soul. Satan did or the guy you were with? No, Satan. Yes. And I said, yes. And you can audibly hear him. I didn't audibly hear his voice, but I felt his spirit and I felt, you know how I was going through the schizophrenic stuff, you know? So it's almost like little whispers. Okay. You know, it's not like, give me your soul. You know, it's more like you feel like having the conversation with the guy, Ouija board talking about all this stuff. I knew what was going on. Yeah. You know, it didn't really, you know, so I said, yes. Okay. Vocally. Like I audibly said, yes. Yeah. And I thought that was it, you know? And, um, after that, I just started feeling so weird, you know, um, a darkness that I've never felt. I, I've never even thought existed. You know, my whole body just felt so dark. And I remember just saying, hey, man, like, I, I need to take a break. Let's let's re-record tomorrow. And I remember, like, trying to get some sleep and I couldn't sleep. And I remember just drinking and smoking consistently. And... um I remember I was on the computer 
and um, I was like listening to the song that I recorded and the screen basically glitched out and went to another web page um, on its own. And the web page was like this black dude that was talking about how he was in the studio with other artists and they were rapping in the mic and demonic spirits were coming out of their voice and how they were selling their soul to Satan and how he was super scared and he left and went home to his mom and his mom like, and and he like hugged her and like his mom, like had a shotgun in her hand and like, they just should just stood by the door and he just cried in her arms. And then at, at the end of the page, it had like, a scripture at the end of it to say, like, if you want to be delivered, you know? And I was like, first of all, how in the hell did my computer glitch out like that? Yeah. Like, that was just so weird to me. Like, I, yeah. like I wasn't like, that was just weird. So I said the prayer. And then after I said the prayer, I was like, I was just thinking like, I am not supposed to be here. You know, I feel like that was the first time in all my years of going to church and everything when God, when I felt God, like, and this is all going to revert back to that time on the the bus stop, bus stop, which it connects, but this is how it got to that point. You know, so um, I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. So I woke up in the morning and I told dude like, hey, man, I'm good. I don't want to be here anymore. Can you take me to the train, to the bus stop? Mm-hmm. He was like, what? Are you serious? And I was like, yeah, man, I, I got to go. I didn't tell him why yeah. or nothing. I was just like, I got to go. All those, you know, satanic clothing and rings, I left him at his house. Mm-hmm. I let him keep the computer. Well, actually, I kept the computer, but I let him keep the speakers everything the microphone i was like just keep it just take me just take me to the bus stop yeah. i didn't want any any of it and he took me to the bus stop and at that moment is when like hell was like oh you're not getting away that easy mm. you know so so that's when like overdrive with like the demonic oppression started to happen and um you know i remember being on the bus stop and just going through a psychosis and getting dropped off in Hollywood. And, you know, I, cause I was trying to get to my mom. I was trying to do exactly what I saw that dude do in the video, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was trying to get to my mom, which lived in Long Beach and I'm all the way in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know? So I got dropped off in Hollywood at the bus stop and I was just running around trying to find a phone to use, but I was like asking everybody if they believed in God before I could use their phone. Uh-huh. I was like, do you believe in God? And they were like, no. I was like, okay, don't talk to me. Uh-huh. Other people like, do you believe in God? They're like, no. I was like, okay, don't talk to me. And then I saw the Musicians Institute building, mm-hmm. which is where I like had um, enrolled, uh, tried to enroll to be a student and had a counselor there. So I, and I remember the counselor's name. So I went in to see if he was there 
and he was there. And I was like, do you believe in God? And he was like, absolutely not. And I was like, uh-huh. whatever, just let me use your phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I use his phone and I call my mom and I'm like, mom, this happened and this and da, 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 and this, you know, and she's like, oh my God, where are you? You know, and um, she's like, I can't get you, but I'm going to send an Uber for you. And I was like, no, don't send an Uber. You have to come and get me. So um, I was, it came to a point where she did send an Uber and I made the dude stand there with me the whole time. Well, I didn't make him stand with me. I was just like the dude from the Musicians Institute, my counselor. I just, I wanted to stay on the phone with my mom and I wasn't giving off the phone with him until the Uber driver came and with her until the Uber driver came. So I, I took his phone hostage <laughs> and the Uber driver came like, okay. So I asked probably like eight people if they believe in God and they all said no. Right. Yeah. So when the Uber driver came, I saw that he had like a cross hanging from his rearview mirror. Okay. And I asked him like, Hey, before I get in this car, do you believe in God? And he was like, of course. Mm. And I got in and um, he was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not. And I was, and he was like, do you want to call somebody so you can talk to them? And he called my mom and had her on speaker the whole way to her house to Long Beach, which wow. was like a two-hour drive because of L.A. traffic. Yeah. <laughs> so I got there. I ran into my mom's house. I gave her a hug. I told her what was happening. I was crying in her arms. She didn't have no shotgun like the other dude's mm-hmm. mom. But, you know, it was that same picture, you know. And from then, I kind of made it a point to seek and chase after God. But the oppression went too crazy. Yeah. You know, and schizophrenia went too crazy. And I ended up being alone in a place where, you know, nobody wanted anything to do with me. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, that was my mom and she wanted to protect me. But you start telling your mom, you hearing voices and seeing things. They're going to be like, we need to take you to a doctor. Yeah. You know, so and I think that's most people that aren't really dealing with that type of stuff. You know, so it got to a point where I was um, kind of. On the edge, I had moved to Pasadena with my uncle because my mom couldn't deal with me anymore. And I needed to get a job. Um, So I got a job at Home Depot. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I I couldn't, I was trying to act like everything was okay, but I was still going through with it. And this whole time I was in the word every day. I was praying every day. I was like, just so on fire for knowing who Jesus was you know I remember I would watch Passion of the Christ and cry every time the (laughs) whole movie yeah and um it got to a point where I was just in my uncle's living room and I kept getting these demonic voices in my head like they wouldn't get out and I was just like I can't do this anymore like Like, everybody thinks I'm crazy. Like, you know, like, 
maybe I am crazy. Like maybe there's something wrong with me, you know? So at this point you're having these demonic voices, but are you still abusing drugs and alcohol? No. So when I, so when I got to my mom's house that day, I stopped. Which is cold turkey. Um, yeah. And do you mind if I ask what kind of drugs you were abusing? Um, so I was doing marijuana, uh, Xanax, um, promethazine, um, little cocaine here and there, and then alcohol, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I still smoked weed at my mom's when I was living with my mom. But when I moved away um, to my uncle's for like a six-month period, I wasn't doing anything. Okay. Um, so. But still experiencing these demonic episodes. Yeah. Okay. I was still experiencing them. And I had never went through anything. And that's the thing is that, like, you know, I have been smoking weed for so long in my life that, and I never experienced any crazy psychosis things, you know? So it was just weird that all of a sudden I'm schizophrenic. Like I had never, like I had never, you know, like you don't just wake up and you just schizophrenic one day, you know? They they do say it comes like in your twenties. So for those who actually- Yeah, are yeah. diagnosed with it. It happens like yeah. in the 20s, like mid twenties. I've seen it. Yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was like definitely demonic oppression, though. A hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? And and I don't think that the people around me believe that. They thought it was like drugs. Yeah, and I was just tripping. Mm-hmm. You know, but I knew it was more than that. And that's why, you know, when I got to my uncle's, I was like, I'm just, I stopped everything. And um, it was for six months, but I was still dealing with all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I was in my uncle's living room and I just like, I couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, something has to be wrong with me. Like, maybe they're right. Maybe like, um, maybe I'm going crazy or something. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to go to the hospital. I was like, I'm going to go to the hospital. And then I was just like, man, you know, I can just end it all and not deal with this right now. So I'm just, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I go to the bus stop to like go to the hospital, but I'm still like, I don't know. Like, should I go to the hospital? Should I just end it all right now? Should I just, you know, like, I I just wanted to get rid of these voices in my head. I don't want to hear them anymore. So um, I was just sitting on the bus stop and this white dude with dreads, you know, in an Australian accent walks up to me (laughs) and he's like, hey, can I talk to you? Um, And I'm like, yeah, what do you want? You know, like, basically, like, I don't trust anybody at this point. And because of all the things that I went through and because of people never believing me, I would always document things with my phone mm. and, like, take photos and video. Yeah. So the, from the time he walked up to me, I was recording him. 
because I was like, if he tries to kidnap me or anything happens to me, I have it recorded. So people won't think I'm crazy, you know? So he was like, I wanted to talk to you to see if you knew about Jesus. And I've been in the word and chasing after God. And I'm like, and I'm thinking like, yeah, but I'm not about to talk to you about it, you know? So he's like, well, I was like, what do you want? You know? And he's like, well, I just felt God's heart for you. And he told me to come over here and talk to you. Mm. And I was like, why do you want to talk to me? And he was like, because he loves you. and he, he needs people like me and you to go out in the earth, in the world, and tell his children that he loves them. And he was like, I'm at this conference right now where Todd White is preaching at the Pie Hop. And... You know, he's been sending people out into the streets during the intermissions to pray and heal. And God highlighted you. And he was like, it's still going on if you want to come back with me. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, oh, he's going to like throw me in a white band and like <laughs> tie me up. And I'm like, whatever. If this is how it goes, like this is how it goes I out. We were ready to go anyway. So I was. I was ready. So yeah. I'm wa- so I'm walking with him and I'm talking with him whole time. The whole time I'm recording still. Um, and um, we're walking there. It's like a five minute walk. And we walk up to the behind the building. And the first thing I see is this huge scripture on the side of the auditorium that says, uh, blessed are those who thirst after righteousness for they should be hunger and thirst after righteousness for they should be filled. And I was just thinking like, oh man, like that's, that's weird. That's weird. You know? And then I walk further in front of the auditorium and I see all these white people and I'm like, oh, here we go. (laughs) What's going on here? And um, he's like, do you want to register? And I'm like, okay. You know, whatever. I'm still, like, not trusting the situation. Mm -hmm. But as I start to get, I start to feel a little bit more peace. Like, I'm standing in line. He's standing with me. And then the only old black lady in the whole thing that I see out of, like, these hundreds of, like, white people. And this is important. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know people would think, why is he talking about black or white? But this is important because... My whole, a lot of the people that I thought were on my side and with me looked like me. Yeah. You know, so this black lady comes up to me and she's like, I have a word for you. And I'm like, what is it? She's like, God sees what you've been doing and how you've been chasing after him. And he's so proud of you and he loves you. And all the people that have done you wrong and called you crazy, they're going to see what God is doing in your life and the direction that he's taking you. And they're all going to apologize. Wow. And then I walked into the conference. And before I know it, 20 people are around me. I'm laid on the floor crying. And I'm like, I, I, I give my life to Jesus. And then I start working in my, you know what I'm saying? Working in in my auditorium as an audio engineer, like 
you know, doing working on the music for their live sets or whatever, like as I keep going there. And I'm working at Home Depot, still kind of dealing with the 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 um demonic forces, but it's kind of it's kind of like I'm able to sustain it because I had a church community for the first time. Yeah. You know, and nobody looked like me, you know. So that just right there shows like the importance of community, right? Yeah. No, a hundred percent. It's, it's, it's so important, you know, and I think that it was key because I felt like I had no one at a point in time. So to have so many people ready to pray for me in an instant mm-hmm. and not make me feel like something was wrong with me yeah. was everything to me, you know? So, but I was still dealing with a little bit of that schizophrenic, like, you know, like aftershock, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, I I was working at Home Depot and one of the people that was working there um well I was living with my uncle and he was just being super mean to me you know um and this is like after I got like saved and all that he was just being super mean to me and like calling me crazy. I have him recorded. He's on the album too. And he was cussing me out. <laughs> but, I'm sure nobody wants to be around you, Mr. <laughs> Just record without consent. I mean, I don't be recording people now, but <laughs> I mean, at that point I needed to document this stuff because yeah. and I'm glad I did, you know, because nobody ever believed anything I said. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I knew that I had to leave his house at some point and my Home Depot coworker, he, he was like, Hey man, um, where I'm at, they have a, you know, a open room if you want to come by and check it out. And I was like, yes, like I want to check it out. So I went like the next week and, um, I, it was right across the street from the auditorium. I got saved at. Mm. so I was like what the heck like this is convenient you know because I would always walk there it was a prayer room so I would be in the prayer room for hours like you know so I was like oh this is convenient like Mm -hmm. so I walk into the office and I see like all these like signs on the walls that say like peace gentleness like um pray like all this stuff and I realized it's a sober living home. Mm. It's a sober living home. Yeah. I mean, that's what you needed though, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, God led me there. Yeah. yeah. Want, I realized I realized God wanted me to do that. Yeah. That's what he wanted, you know, to kind of like really solidify that and, and stomp in the ground. Mm-hmm. the demonic oppression that was still left over. Yeah. Um, so I was there. I was there for a year, you know, going to all the meetings, taking those 
uncomfortable pee tests when they wake you up randomly. And, um, you know, I got sober from it. And from that, like, I'm six years sober from that point. Okay. Um, I, I met my wife there. <laughs> How did you? At, oh. So I was so okay. So I was. I didn't meet her at the sober living home. I met her at my my auditorium, the auditorium where I got saved. Okay. But I used to do. I used to do um. Um, engineering for you know their sets, and she's a singer, so she was singing one day. Okay. And um, you know, I started to really take a fancy to her voice. And, you know, while I was living in the sober living home, I felt God called me to record an album. Mm -hmm. So I was in the process of recording an album and I was like, man, I really would love her on a track. So I invited her on a track to the studio and, you know, we began like just chopping it up and, um, you know, one thing led to another and we're like, We'd like started dating this whole time. I'm still living in the sober living home. And she's aware of your situation and everything. Yeah. She was, now that I think about it, it's kind of (laughs) crazy, you know, like thinking, thinking about her dating me, even giving me a chance, you know, but I mean, I was really put together. Like I was all about, I was on fire for God. Yeah. You know, so I'm pretty sure that was attractive. <laughs> so, like, I was, I was just like, like I didn't even want to hold hands. I was just like, you know, you know. So, yeah, and you know, it ended up happening where I ended up moving out. I ended up getting a job. We grew fonder to each other. I proposed. You know, those and God also used her to completely because once I met her and we started dating, the schizophrenia completely went away. Mm. So you have had no episodes since? Nothing, not even a little bit, even to this day. And have you ever gone to the doctors and been like diagnosed? Yeah, I did. Yeah, they would always try to take me to the doctor. I would be in the doctor like every week, my mom, and they would be doing x-rays and giving me prescription drugs and Risperidol and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I always did that, you know, so. But, but um, since, since then, it's, have you been for them to be like, oh, it's just gone. It just magically disappeared. What did you say? The hospital, have you been since? So, like, a clear diagnosis of the schizophrenia is gone? No. I haven't. Okay. Yeah. And I think that the reason why I haven't is because I don't really, I don't think, like, I didn't need a doctor to tell me that I have been delivered from that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um like I, I saw it with my own after all that I have been through, like I didn't I know I needed Jesus to deliver me. I know I, it was a miracle. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um 
I didn't want to open that back up to doctors who tried to give me medicine that was really bad for me. Yeah. That, that, that was, and they just prescribe you. And that's the thing. Like I was never like diagnosed as schizophrenic, you know, mm-hmm. but I was having schizophrenic episodes. Yeah. They didn't want to diagnose me as, as schizophrenic, but they said that my schizophrenic episode, that I was having schizophrenic episodes, but but they gave me medication you give to schizophrenic people. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. why when that's why I didn't trust the health care system at that particular moment. Yeah. I'm not saying at all. Yeah. No. I so I, I knew that God wanted to show me I'm going to do this for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do deliver you from this and nobody is going to take credit for what I'm going to do in your life. Yeah. And just like the, the lady said um, that everyone was going to apologize. Everyone did. My mom, my uncles, like cousins, sister, they all apologize. My uncle still apologizes to me after three years. I'm like, it's okay. Like, <laughs> stop apologizing. <laughs> like, yeah. I love you. Like, we're good, you know? And um, it's just like a testament to, you know, God's grace and his mercy, you know, because the enemy will always try to tell me that I sold my soul and I can never get it back. Oh, the Lord got it back. <laughs> he got it. He got it back. in an Uber. And got you back. <laughs> in a, oh, he, hey, hey, he, he'll use whatever he can. <laughs> Uber, you know, but the end, you know, believe it or not, that's like, there's a lot of other incremental details. Mm-hmm. Like I was telling my pastor my whole testimony the other day, and it was like two and a half hours yeah. because it was very, very detailed, every little thing, you know what I'm saying? But just in all, just know that like I'm a warrior for Christ, you know. Yeah. I'm a warrior for Christ and I'm a martyr for Christ. And I think that a lot of people in the Bible have dealt with physical martyr situations, you know, but the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I think that especially now and age because you can't just slaughter a Christian in the middle of the street and you know nobody says anything I think we deal with a lot of psychological oppression and I feel like God allowed me to go through that to really call that out uh, in our society and in um, you know America in the black community right now so I feel like that's kind of what God uses me for especially in music um to to challenge the mental um oppression you know that a lot of people don't talk about the different side of it you know and you're still at that same church um so my my auditorium no i'm actually at a new church yeah Uh, my auditorium closed down I've been through a couple transitions of churches. You know, we actually, me and my wife just um, started attending 
um, the Bridge Church in Pasadena, um, pastored by Dennis. Uh, and it's great, you know, I feel like there's seasons for different, you know, community, church communities. And, yeah. you know, it's so- good though. What do you think, because you're talking about your experience and, um, you know, dealing with like mental health issues and everything within the black community, but it was a group of white people where you were delivered. Um, How do you feel like that? I don't know. Why is that significant in your story? Like, why do you think God allowed them to be that for you? Well, I mean, there was black people there too. as I started to like get more ingrained in Pie Hop in the House of Prayer. I obviously met more black people. But when I first went there that day um, mm-hmm. and got delivered, I I didn't see any black people except for that lady. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because all the experiences that I've had in the church have been with black people Mm -hmm. i had never even been to a church with white people before up until that point you know i had never even really seen a white person in church aside from on tv yeah you know so and i'm like 24 years old you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying it's just crazy so you can just imagine how boxed in my um mindset was not only about the body of Christ, but just about the capabilities of what God could do, mm-hmm. you know? So I think he needed to show me that because every pastor I saw was in a suit and bald. And did you say bald and bald? Yes. <laughs> And you know, I'm a, a I, and man in a suit. This is all of the pastors. Bald black men. Like in, <laughs> it, before I went to yeah, before I went to that church, every pastor I at every church was bald, black, mm-hmm. wore a suit. Everybody at church on church, you had to dress up and wear a suit. Mm-hmm. Got the old ladies in the front with the big hats. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And you know, you can't chew gum because they're going to tell you to chew gum. And even if you chew gum, if it's a lady you don't know, she's going to be like, here, <laughs> make you spit it in her hand. <laughs> and that's just that that was programmed in me. Yeah. You know, that's what church is. Mm-hmm. So when I went there, it was the complete opposite. People got on sandals, people wearing snapbacks and Nikes. And I'm like, what is going on? But I also felt like when I went into that, I had to be what I thought church was. So I started dressing like I shaved my head, like I went to the doctor and got glasses. Like I was wearing these button. I'm serious. I was like I was wearing button up shirts. I was wearing these big old pants. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't until like I started to continue in my walk with God where he was like, Hey, uh, I didn't call you to my kingdom for you to look like, you know, somebody else. I I called you to be who you are. I want you to be you. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I also skipped over a very, very important 
part. So okay. after the power of love, um, where I got the conference where I got delivered, the next day it was Azusa Now, which is a huge conference at the Los Angeles Coliseum. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I walked in, um, there was this guy with this tall guy with the angel's hat on, you know. I don't know if he just liked the angels or if God was trying to be funny, you know. <laughs> Probably both. Right. So <laughs> he he came straight directly towards me, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he was like, it's okay, you're safe now. Mm. And then I, like, walked down into the stadium, and that was the first time I saw, like, Bethel and, like, elevation and like who else ever else was there i don't remember but like on a large scale because i had always seen these other concerts that was the first time i saw christian music being presented on that huge scale yeah and i was like this is amazing i didn't know that y'all got down like this (laughs) that's when i felt like god was like this is what i want you to do yeah this is why i brought you over here Okay. They need, you know what I'm saying? They need, they need to hear your story. Mm. You know, I need you on that stage. Yeah. So, and then fast forward, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, I was wearing the button up shirts in the, in the, in the bald head and everything. And God was like, no, I created you to be you, you know? And then that's when I was like, oh, okay. And then I, I, I slowly but surely got my got my drip back. <laughs> I got I got I got my drip I got my drip back. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So I that's when I really started to find out who I was in Christ. Mm-hmm. Who have you called me to be? And I'm still finding that out every day, even yeah. you know, even even as a even as an artist. You know, so but I think it was important for God to put those people that didn't look like me to broaden my horizons yeah. into into what it looks like to to be a Christ follower because everybody's just not the same, and I needed to see that. Right on, right on. And uh, let's talk about your wife because in the midst of all this, you guys end up getting married. And how long have you been married now? Um, in November it'll be three years. Okay, three years, and I did see her her page and her whole DIY YouTube and <laughs> decor and all of that. Like, yeah. I went down a rabbit hole because she was, <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed to be researching Adrian, but I'm like just on his <laughs> wife right now. Where um, <laughs> people tend to do that, they tend to get into a rabbit hole when they find out who she is and what she does it's cool that's that's pretty dope um so how would you say god's presence looks like in your life personally outside of the music but personally Mm. i think that his presence is i'm not gonna sit here and act like i am that same kid that felt abandoned by everyone and I only had God and you know I just when I was so on fire for him you know I'm not gonna sit here and act like 
it's like that because I think that as I started to transition out of that hunger and being on fire for God, I think that it's definitely been a challenge keeping him first mm-hmm. and staying consistent with being in the word and praying and and seeking. So I think that um, with everything going on in my life, I try my best to put God first. Mm. Um, but I can't, I would be lying if I said that I'm perfect at that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would be, I, I can't, I can't get on camera and, and fake the funk. Like, um, it's difficult, you know, but I think that I grow mature, more mature in Christ every day. And I think that, um, I try my best to keep my prayer life strong, um, you know, and reading the word strong. And um, having being surrounded by community and accountability, um, I try my best to 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 stay persistent with that. Um, you know, so I think that we were just actually my pastor we were just talking about this at church the other day. Is that um, you know you want to always be in God's presence, like you want to always. Um, consider his presence in all things that you do you know and I needed to be reminded of that you know because it's easy to get kind of like lost in like putting out this song getting money doing doing your job for this getting money for this like doing this like it's so easy to forget my testimony and like why I'm doing this yeah or who is it's easy so you know, I can't sit here and act like sometimes I don't forget, but I, I try my best, and, you know. Right on. And then going into the music, so you're in this huge coliseum and you feel God calling you to be on that stage. Um, what was the next step? How did you get into Christian music? Well, that was the only thing that was I, I felt like I can listen to when I was, uh, you know, I couldn't listen to anything else. So I started, I listened to, the first artist I heard was Seven. Oh, yeah, for sure. Told his testimony. That's the, that's the first yeah. artist I heard. And he was like, hood with it. So yeah. I loved it. Because yeah. I am I was, you know, I, I know I left this out, but I was, you know, like my upbringing is gangs and violence and a lot of that. So, I mean, we can probably get into that later, but. You know, so no, I mean, get to it now. I mean, briefly. <laughs> okay, but I, I mean, well, that was that was a lot of my upbringing. Like I was raised around in Pasadena, around a lot of bloods, and then my family was in LA, all Crips. I moved to LA when I was um, eighteen to live with my brother, and really got infatuated with gang culture. And yeah. no, that you know, so. I, um, when I came to Christ, I looked for, I, that's what re- like really pulled me in that he was from where I was from yeah. and he was speaking, he was speaking that, that truth, you know? Um, and then I obviously found out about the goat Lecrae. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, just from there, it, it, I started to 
like when I first dropped my album that I had my wife on, it's called it was called Push, which stands for Pray Until Something Happens. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it was very raw in my faith, like Jesus this, Jesus that, repent, you know, mm-hmm. all that, and um, I think that that was necessary for where I was. Mm-hmm. You know? And um, but as I've grown. I've learned how to really navigate my experiences and align them in a way that relates to the people on my brother's block in South Central and the people at church on Sunday morning. Yeah. But I think that 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 has been like I like to say that I'm not a Christian rapper, you know. I'm a rapper that's a Christian. Yeah. I don't like to consider myself a Christian rapper, you know. And that's no shade to anyone that does or to CHH because I love that that music. I just think that God has called me to reach um, the lost in a very strategic, specific way. Got it. You know, so, like, I don't know if you heard my song, like, Won't He Do It? Yeah. Okay, well, that song, I feel like even with that song, um, that's an old church saying, like, for mm-hmm. a year, you know. But God has been giving me these sayings and kind of creating double and triple entendres for them to where dudes from the hood can be like, oh, yeah, like, he's going to do it. You know, mm-hmm. they don't know who he is, but they're singing the song. And, um, like, when I did the music video, it was all gangsters and killers in my music videos. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 not to put anybody on blast like that. <laughs> infringe anybody but people are from the streets not like gangsters and like people are just out here murdering people but people are from the streets and if you look at any of my videos it's all people from the streets okay and they don't look at me like a christian artist yeah they don't look at they're like he's a rap like he's an artist yeah like and that's who i make music for you know but the foundation of it is in christ Mm. what i'm talking about is in christ you know if you listen to my lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's pointing you towards Christ. Mm-hmm. But I think that as a community in CHH, I feel like I'm tired of segregating myself from the secular industry, you know, yeah. and creating, this is CHH and this is secular. Like, yeah. how are we supposed to reach this side if we keep, it's almost like, BET and you know what I'm saying like you know what I'm saying like black entertainment is awesome but as long as long as there's a black entertainment and not just entertainment that's on black black people it's it's always going to have that segregation factor you know what I'm saying so I just feel yeah. like I just feel like there's a place for the sevens there's a place for the lecrae's there's a place for Every single person that has been influenced by Christ to do music. 
And I think that there's a place for me um, to reach not only people that already have found Christ, but people that don't know Christ Mm -hmm. and they're going through something different in the streets and they need to hear hope, you know, and not just like, you know, because every, I've sat in studios with people, you know, and tried to play them Christian music. Sometimes people can't, like, they just don't want to listen to it. You know, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to. And I feel like God has helped me to not like water down, but like put it in a way where they can relate to it you know, where it's, where it's more relatable. Like, even if you think about Jesus, like he sat with sinners, you know, like he, he didn't just sit in the, you know, temple all day. Like he went out in the streets, he went and touched these people, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like sometimes as Christian hip hop, we want to be in our own little sector and have our own little like groups. And we just, it's just Christian hip hop, you know? Yeah. You know, but I feel like we need to expand out and stop being afraid of being confused. Like if you're a light set on the hill, you can go into these industries and be you, you know, you know what I'm saying? And people don't want to say, oh, I don't want to stop saying Jesus. Like you don't have to stop saying Jesus. Just say it in a dope way. (laughs) Well, I mean, like you said, there's different bait. Right. For different fish. So you can have those who say Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then you can have those who who don't. I think it's something for everybody. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about this day. Like there's so many artists now currently that are Christians that are making different types of music and that are it's getting, you know, pushed into the secular wor- world via whether it be TV shows or, you know, because um, there's a lot of sync licensing going on in the TV shows and movies and on ESPN. Yeah. Um, you can go to nightclubs and see Christian artists. Um, so there's different ways that we're kind of flooding in, and it's pretty amazing to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all that is important. I think that just like, I think that a part of it too with me is just kind of like, not frustration, but I'm just kind of like, I feel like, I feel kind of like, that cousin that nobody wants to invite over to their house in CHH. (laughs) Why do you feel that way? Because I feel like I'm too hood for Christian hip-hop and I'm too Christian hip-hop for the hood. You know what I'm saying? But I feel I, I feel like it's a certain medium where people don't know where to put me in. And I feel like because of that, I feel like sometimes they neglect, um, you know, I just feel like I get hated on, to be completely real with you. Yeah. You know, I'm just being real. This is supposed to be an interview. I'm never going, you know, any interview I do, I'm always going to keep it a buck. But, you know, there's some people that, that I rock with, like Rapzilla. I rock with Rapzilla, but I feel like some people, 
Like, they see what's going on, but they just be playing favorites. You know what I'm saying? I I can see that, yeah. You know, so I just feel like at the end of the day, like, um, I feel like even more, that's even more of a reason why I don't want to be labeled as a Christian artist. You know, like, I just want to be, and I don't want to be a secular artist or anything. I just want to be an artist who's, musical foundation is in christ like yeah. that's it you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. but wait i'm sorry um my my grandma's here hold on yeah um i'm hungry too grandma we we gonna eat soon okay we gonna eat soon um i don't know just give me about 20 more minutes well, what do you want to eat? I know you ain't trying to eat no salad. What about some greens? We got some collards. Mm-hmm. Who? you baby is this you you who my my grandbaby been talking to this whole time (laughs) what's your name um adrian adrian okay adrian okay i i I was overhearing some some of the the conversation y'all was having do you mind if i if i say a little prayer for you adrian hey how old are you if you don't mind me asking. I'm 106 years old, born in 1914. Okay, okay yeah, them them century prayers be be real. My grandma's prayers still uh still helping me now. So yes, please pray for me. All right, all right. Lord, I, I just want to thank you for letting me overhear some of this this young man's this young man's testimony. I, I Lord, I, I thank you for picking this man up in Uber. Having that Uber driver come up, you know, I, I appreciate that. And, and him running into John the Baptist at the, the bus stop, white man in dreads and everything, taking him to some pie place. It looked like he got a little bit more than pie, Lord. He got you, Lord. And I want to thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I also want to thank you for getting him past that, that bald head and that suit phase and, and getting his drip back, Lord. That's what the kids call it, right? Drip. Ooh, Lord, I, I thank you, Lord. I also thank you, Lord, for, for blessing him with a wife, a, a loving wife that, that, that loves him through, through it all, Lord, Lord. Amen. And yes, Lord, some folks be judging folks on they spouse. And, and I, I know folks sure enough used to judge the late Brown and held him in high regards because he married me. Black beauty, you know. Black <laughs> beauty always got the love and the respect and so did Brown. I went Amen. hard in the paint for my man, Lord. Got the hip replacement to prove it, Lord. Hey, tell him, tell him. The hustle I had, Lord, I was by his side. He opened up a diner, I made the pies. This Say young that. man loved him some pies and you, Lord. Lord, I, I want to 
bless this this grandbaby Galika of mine, and and I want you to put some food up in her refrigerator, Lord. Not this healthy stuff, Lord. I, I want some biscuits, Lord. I want some some cookies, some cake, some pie, Lord. She keeps hey. feeding me this kale, Lord. I don't need no kale. I made it this mm. far in life without that kale, Lord. And, and Lord, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. This this prayer is supposed to be about this young man, uh. Baby, what, what's what's your name again, baby? Adrian. Adrian, that's right, Lord. Adrian, I want you, Lord, I want you to bless this man, Adrian, and his music ministry, his marriage, and all that, Lord. Bless him, Lord, bless him. Amen. Amen. Thanks, 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 Gramps. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Mother Brown, it's Mother Brown. But Mother I'm Brown. You're welcome. I'm going to let you get back to my grandbaby. Gay Licka. Gay Licka. He, he, he ready for you. I done, done gave him a blessing. His drip should be extra drippy this time around. All right. All right. Thank you for... um. Entertaining my grandma. Appreciate hey, she was that. solid. She was <laughs> solid. Thank you. She was solid with the hip replacement and everything. She, <sighs> you need to go and get her some real food and stop playing. <laughs> I'll get her some <laughs> real food. I will. So um, I want to get to more of your music. We have a section called the full song breakdown where the artist. Yeah raps or recites a verse and discusses the songs was between the lines and the song story um so for you i selected they can't top it won't he do it big things and colorado boulevard i do know that you just dropped that unique too though so if you wanted to mm -hmm. do that instead of one of them oh okay nah i can do i can do all four of those that's cool okay so if yeah. you don't mind, just um, starting with they can't top it. Um, just pick a verse that you like, and we'll just discuss that. Okay. <clears throat> Let me see if I can remember it. <laughs> so yeah, the first verse on they can't top it. Um, I say, um, how to plant a seed and watch the sound grow. Drop a bomb on Rapzilla like I'm Funk Flex in the ground, bro. And, you know, I'm basically just talking about how my craft is expanding. And Rapzilla, they have this Critique Friday thing. And I was just basically speaking into existence that I was going to get a 10 on that song. And it did. Okay. Critique Friday. Won't he do? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean that song. That song is like that first verse is basically about me. Did you want me to say the lyrics, or you if you know the lyrics and you want to go ahead and recite it, yeah. Okay. And just for a verse, not the whole song. Yeah, I had to plant a seed and watch the sound grow. Drop a bomb on Rapzilla like a funk flex in the ground broke. Groundbreaking, homicidal waiting if they hot-headed, knock them out cold. Never let a Urkel in my circle when they Winslow family. 
uh, when they Winslow something. I don't remember. I got to hear it. But <laughs> basically, I'm talking about those spiritual, um, you know, forces. Uh, it's, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And me just talking about how, um, you know, those, those, it was a double entendre because I'm talking about people that want to block your blessing and also, you know, um, the enemy who will work through people um, to block your blessing. Um, just people that aren't really in your corner and, um, you know, me just saying that I'm going to persevere even though, you know, in the Bible it talks about you set a table before my enemies. It's it's basically the same concept, you know. Um, and I think that that's, that dives into that way of God giving me strategic themes and how to write because anybody that's, you know, not in the Christian realm or, you know, really in the word, they automatically will assume I'm just talking about a bunch of haters, like yeah. most songs are, you know, but it's not really about haters. It's about like when I was schizophrenic and me saying like, you can't stop it. Like you can't stop what God is going to do in my life mm-hmm. and, and you can't top it. Like mm-hmm. anything you would try to offer me, you know, how Satan tried to offer Jesus, all the kingdoms, like you can't top what God is going to do in my life. That's basically what that whole song is about, you know, but the way that it's put apart is put together um, is, is more relatable for the listener. And I feel that it's important, at least for me personally. Um, And just to kind of touch on what I was talking about earlier, I don't think anybody should change how they're doing whatever God has told you to do in your music, that's how you should do it. Yeah. You know, I just think that it's the way I've been called to, to do music. And um, yeah, right. I mean, that's that. And then won't he do it? Yeah. Won't he do it is like the, it's like the church anthem. I feel like it's like <laughs> the church anthem. Honestly, um, I feel like that. What'd you say? Church anthem with a West Coast beat. Church anthem with a West Coast beat. <laughs> Perfect. I, I feel like, you know, I talk about some real stuff. I talk about my schizophrenia. I talk about, you know, a lot of things that I went through and just how God has given me strength to overcame overcome those obstacles and tribulations in my life and me just declaring that like won't he do it before he does it and won't he do it after he does it? like he's mm-hmm. the same today and tomorrow and forever you know so won't he do it is a testament to that like he's he's the same god he's he's gonna mm-hmm. get you out of those situations you know and just kind of a reminder to people that no matter what you're going through you know, God got you through something in the past. He'll get you through this too. You know what I'm saying? So 
and big things. Yeah, big things is like, um, that's another one too. Like, and I think that you'll start to kind of understand what I mean about like making it more relatable. It's like, I'm saying I'm doing, and I'll tell you why I do this. I'm saying I do big things for the, I'm doing big things for the kingdom of God. You know, not the misconception that I'm doing big things like in life, like mm-hmm. buying cars. Yeah. I know it may seem like that, but that's, that's purposeful because I want it to be relatable. But I'm really, if you listen to my lyrics, then you'll know, oh, he's talking about doing big things for the God, for the gospel. He's talking about, you know, preaching God's name on mountaintops. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He's talking about bringing the lost on the other side of the fence. You know what I'm saying? So that's what that's that's what that song is about. And then, do you have um, like a verse, some of the lyrics that you can do? Oh yeah, um, um, you know, we do a colossal. Big step in coming down Colorado, riding with killers that fill you with hollows, but I could turn a demon to an apostle. And basically what I'm saying by I could turn a demon to an apostle is that I'm saying I'm riding with killers that fill you with hollows. I could turn a demon to an apostle. I'm saying I'm in an environment where people are used to welcoming demonic spirits into your life, into their life, mm-hmm. you know. But I feel like God has given me a gift to touch and reach those people to um, want to know who Christ is. You know, so I could turn him into an apostle. I could flip a chicken like I'm at Roscoe's, mm-hmm. which means like a bird like of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Like if I wanted to, I can go hit a plug up and be like, I'm about to make this quick, you know. 20 bands real quick if I wanted to. Yeah. You know, I could flip a chicken like I'm at Roscoe's, but I'd rather serve you this gospel. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather proclaim the name of Jesus on every mountain top till I shake the cosmos. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and the whole reason why I try to formulate, create that formula is because I feel like secular music does it to us all the time. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're always, like, feeding us with taking drugs and having sex and killing each other and all this stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. they all, and they, they always put, like, sin on, like, this super smooth beat or whatever. But, like, it's sin, you know? And it's it's subconsciously infiltrating our minds. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So why can't I do that with my words? Like, it doesn't mean that I'm watering it down. It doesn't mean that I'm ashamed to be like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like, it doesn't mean any of that. It's just a strategic way I feel God has given me to communicate to this generation. Okay. And then um, if we can do unique since that just dropped. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's all about identity. I'm unique, brought the gospel to the streets. So I'm saying I'm unique because I really do feel like I brought the gospel to the streets. Like even that music video, all the people that I had in that sanctuary, in that church, 
98% of them, aside from my wife, have not been to church in probably like five, 10 years. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm constantly bringing those people into my element, into the presence of God, you know, and um, I feel like we always want to talk to those people from a distance and say, mm-hmm. hey, you can do this and you can do this. But we don't want to go over there and say, hey, let me bring you into my let me bring you to my table. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, brought the gospel to the streets. They test them because I'm a man of God, but I will always turn the other cheek. And that's just me saying that's just me expressing my vulnerability and, you know, like me not being perfect. And me just saying, like, because I am from where I'm from, there are people that will be like, oh, well, you Christian, you can't do that. And you can't, you know, like you can't. And it's like, bro, I'm, you can still get these hands, though, <laughs> in the name of Jesus, you know. <laughs> and I know that's not perfect. I don't advocate that. But I'm just being honest, mm-hmm. you know. You know, um, it me because I'm a man of God, but I won't always turn the other cheek. It's talking wild on the internet, but we buddy buddy with me, self-explanatory. Um, somebody tell them I finished yet, so don't interject when I preach. You know. Um, yeah, I mean it's just it's just me declaring who God has called me to be and just saying it boldly. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just and I think that, you know, sometimes boldness can come off as arrogance. You know, and I'm aware of that. And um, but I feel like God has really called me to step out and be bold in who he's called me to be in in this music space. And I feel like, you know, um, people will call it arrogance and then people will be like, you know, I love that, you know. So how would you say God's presence looks like in your life musically? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Because uh, we talked about personally in your life, but yeah. inside the music, when it comes to your creativity, how is he working? How is he? Yeah. Working? yeah. Oh, he's the working force <laughs> <laughs> for everything. He, he, I wish that I was, that I trusted God in other areas of my life to lead as much as I do in music. Mm. And that's just me being honest. Yeah. Like God can tell me at last minute, don't put that out. Don't do, don't say that. Switch that word. Here, this is, this is this, you know? Um, I feel like he's always communicating to me. He's always giving me ideas and um, showing me. I feel like I'm just a deliverer. I'm just delivering his message. I'm just a messenger, you know, and I'm just using my, like none of the music is about me. You know, it's just about what God has done through me. You know what I'm saying? So, all the songs you hear, like, it's about what God has made me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's all for his glory, you know. Uh, so 
I'm always trying to find ways to give him glory in my music and how how to do it in a cool way, mm-hmm. in a unique in a unique way. No pun intended. You know what I'm saying? And you know who I feel like is really really good at that. Um, I feel like Kanye is really good at that, and I feel mm-hmm. like Christian hip hop needed that element of artistry in the field. Um, you know what I'm saying? So I really try and follow the spirit. I don't I don't like to put out music on my own. If it don't feel right, or even if I'm writing a song, I I, I won't do it, you know. Yeah. I don't want to put out a song and God's hand isn't on it. I feel you. Okay. So now that we have completed this interview process, who would you like to see me interview on the show? Any artists? Well, I like you to see yeah. you interview. Mm-hmm. I would love to see you interview Young C. Okay. Not familiar with him. Look him up. Check him out. Young C. It's the homie. Um, That's it. Okay. That's cool. I'm, you know, I mean, it's other people, obviously, but I feel like it's even more important that you don't know him. Yeah. You know. Well, I just got to know you because I wasn't familiar with you until Josh put me on you, so. Word. (laughs) Shout out to Joshy. Yes, Josh with Sound Seekers. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to interview, and I'm glad we finally got to connect. Absolutely. This was really dope. Thank you for having me. Hey, what's up? Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching the show. However you consume us, thank you. Please subscribe to the show. And if you really enjoy the content, please leave a review. It really does help with the ranking of the show. And if you want to go an extra mile, share the show, share this episode. And for all things testimony, visit testimonystories.com. Until next time, I'm Gilika Brown, the music lover constantly seeking positive music.